0: Welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon, and we are members of the compliance team at NFP, and we use our podcast to try to bring interesting information to our clients, employers, and today we're going to focus on the the end-of-the-year spending bill that came to us at the end of 2019 and included some benefits-related relief and surprises as a part of it. So, Chase, why don't you just give us a quick background on this?
1: Yeah, so 2019 went out with a bang with this bill uh, that Congress enacted and the president signed. Um, As background, Congress had to do something to continue the funding for the government, and so they enacted this bill. Last year, they didn't do that, and we were dealing with government shutdowns and furloughs and how to handle benefits um, in that situation. But this year, Congress got it done and enacted H.R. 1865. It's called the Further Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2020, And it's about a 700-page law that contains all sorts of goodies, lots that don't relate to employee benefits. But for the employee benefits world, there were a few goodies and a few surprises as well. So, Suzanne, do we want to start the year and decade off on a good Or a not-so-good note. So it sounds
0: like the surprises probably aren't so positive, but it's uh, being a new decade. Let's start it off on a positive note. What what can you tell us?
1: I like it. Uh, The biggest thing is the Cadillac tax. Um, This has been repealed by H.R. 1865. The Cadillac tax, as background, it was introduced by the ACA. It would have imposed a 40% excise tax on employer-sponsored coverage that exceeded a certain threshold. These were also called very-rich plans. That's how it got the name Cadillac tax and very rich, meaning the value of the plan was high so that uh, employees did not have to pay as much out of pocket. Uh, The tax was originally set to become effective in 2018, but had been delayed twice previously, once through 2020 and then again through 2022. So we hadn't seen the impact of this one yet, um, but HR 1865 completely repeals the tax, meaning it will never be imposed on any employer plan. The big concern here was that the rules for the Cadillac tax had never been fully developed, and many had anticipated that the tax would actually apply to a much larger portion of plans than originally thought. And so um, that was the big Im- impact or worry from employers. And But it's gone now. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to spend hours and hours educating and planning and doing podcasts and webinars, trying to help employers understand this one. And more importantly, employers won't have to spend hours of their time figuring it out and paying for it. Um, so we can rest easy on that one now.
0: Right, right. And and the idea, but the general theory behind the Cadillac tax was that if the, if um, the individuals had skin in the game, um, and then they would be making wiser decisions in regard to their health care. Um, whether that's true or not, or it's just theory, or, you know, it's it's interesting question. But regardless, it was never put in place and it's gone now. So we don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, so is there any other good news?
1: Yeah. So the other big piece of news that's great is the health insurance tax or the hit, as it was referred to, is gone starting in 2021. So the health insurance tax was a tax on carriers, so employers never had to come out of pocket directly on this one, uh, but carriers were generally passing along to employers um, that sponsored fully insured plans through increased premium rates. Most employers could look at their rate sheets and see the actual uh, dollar amount or their percentage, Right. and it was estimated at between 2 to 3% of uh, premium increase just related to the hit. So this one has been on again, off again over the years. Um, In 2017 and 2019, it was on moratorium. Congress basically said, don't enforce this or don't collect this in those years. It's back in play for 2020. Um, So we do have to deal with it in 2020. Um, But in 2021 and going forward from there, it'll be gone. That's great news because it was actually uh, didn't have a sunset date. So it was an indefinite tax Many um, thought it would last forever, so it is uh, formally repealed now.
0: Right, because the intent was to help pay for um, some of the costs associated with the ACA. But so that's right. it. We're on a good track having these two taxes um, repealed. What else? What else is there?
1: Yeah. So uh, a couple other things that are good. This one is not directly r- related to employers and their plans, but the medical device tax is gone. This was a 2.3% excise tax on manufacturers and importers of certain medical devices. That was originally set to become effective in 2013, but has also been delayed, much like the Cadillac tax, uh, multiple times. Now it's repealed completely. This one is not directly impactful for employers, uh, but there's some connection through higher costs, right? Sure. If you have medical device manufacturers paying higher taxes, then those costs are generally passed along through their uh, clients, doctors, and providers who likely pass that cost on to insurance companies and other payers in the health uh, uh, insurance industry, and that in turn likely results in higher premiums. So the thought here is even though it's difficult to quantify the exact and actual dollar amount impact, um, it's a good thing to get rid of that tax for the most part.
0: Okay, so so again, another tax, we're, we're on a good roll. Anything else that's good?
1: Yeah, two more things that I wanted to mention, although they aren't as universally applicable. First, for tax-exempt organizations, uh, good news. H.R. 1826 eliminates a tax on commuter benefits for tax-exempt organizations. This one gets a little technical, but back in 2017, Congress, as part of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, enacted a section of the Code 512A7 that required tax-exempt organizations to include in their unrelated business taxable income their costs for providing qualified transportation fringe benefits to their employees, which would include parking and commuter expenses. So most people think tax-exempt organizations don't pay any taxes at all, but if you have a business or something going on um, that's related to the tax-exempt organization, you might have this unrelated business income tax, or UBIT. And um, this was impacted by the 2017 law, making it more difficult for tax-exempt organizations to provide commuter benefits that tax is gone, and it's gone retroactively. Oh, interesting. So we anticipate that the IRS will issue guidance on how that repeal will work, including how to amend the form, which is Form 990-T. We're getting very technical here, right? Right, right. <laughs> but that's used to report and pay that tax. Those tax exec organizations that um, paid that tax will presumably have an, a, an opportunity to go back and, cl- and claim a refund for Uh, taxes they've paid. So more to come on that. The second thing quickly is for any type of employer, but H.R. 1826 extends the employer paid family and medical leave tax credit for one year. So uh, that same 2017 tax cut um, law established a business tax credit uh, for employer paid family and medical leave. We haven't seen a lot of uptake on this one, but basically the tax credit was available in uh, 2018. And 2019 and it is now extended through 2020. Uh, but again, we have not seen very many of our clients or employers out there generally uh, taking advantage of that.
0: Well, you started out the discussion by saying that there was basically some good and bad. So uh, are there, have we gotten through all the good, good stuff? Uh, are we having to move to the bad now?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's time to talk some bad news. So um, we mentioned the Cadillac tax, the HIT tax and the medical device tax being repealed. We also have the reinsurance fee that was part of the ACA that expired in 2016. There's one other fee out there, the PCOR fee that was expired in 2019. That is back, and it's back with a fury for mm. 10 more years. Wow. This is an ACA fee on issuers of health insurance policies and self-insured health plans to help fund what's called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, that's where the PCOR acronym comes from. The fee is required to be reported once a year on the second quarter uh, on Form 720, and it's paid by July 31st each year. It's based on the average number of lives covered under the policy or the plan. So the impact for employers is basically what you've been doing, you're gonna to have to continue doing with regard to the uh, PCOR fee. For fully insured plans, you can rely on the carrier, as you did in the past with uh, employers with self-insured plans, including HRAs, uh, have to continue their compliance with the PCOR fee uh, by filing that Form 720 by July 31st each year. The IRS, we anticipate, will issue additional guidance on that extension, including the applicable fee amounts. Those are adjusted for inflation every year, and so the IRS will weigh in. So stay tuned for more on this, but that's the bad news.
0: What is not in the bill that employers maybe were hoping for?
1: Um, first, there's nothing relating to HSAs. Last year, the House passed a few separate bills that we we talked about on podcasts with, with several HSA changes, including upping the contribution limits, relaxing some of the eligibility rules regarding impermissible coverages, and more flexibility for use of HSA dollars to, to pay for things like over-the-counter medicines, gym memberships, and other other things. So employers... And employees are out there wondering if the Senate will ever tackle those HSA items or if Congress will ever do anything else on that. Second, there's nothing in this bill um, relating to the ACA's employer mandate or reporting. We'd heard a lot of across the aisle support on simplifying reporting, maybe coming out with forms that are easier to complete. We've heard that for a while,
0: haven't we? We
1: have. So 1095C, 1094C, those are still out there. Employers have to complete them. But Um, The other part of that was perhaps relaxing the definition of Mm -hmm. full-time when it comes to identifying which employees you have to offer coverage to and report on. Um, That's obviously at 30 hours per week as the definition for full-time. Many were hoping that that would bump up to 40 and that did not pan out in this bill.
0: So anything else from the bill or otherwise that you want to tell us about today?
1: Yeah, so one other thing, HR 1865 also adopts uh, in full the SECURE Act, setting every community up for Retirement Enhancement Act. That relates to retirement plans, and I'm not the expert there, so we're not going to go through all the changes, um, but the SECURE Act is uh, the most comprehensive legislation passed on retirement since 2005. And so it is important. We discuss this fully in our, in our biweekly newsletter, Compliance Corner. So ask your NFP advisor for a copy of that. And also we'll be having a one-hour webinar next Wednesday, January 15th, um, where we'll have uh, Beth Allen and Carol Wood, the two attorneys and colleagues of ours, that will be going into depth on the SECURE Act. So tune into that. Again, if you need an invite, reach out to your NFP advisor.
0: And know that if you're hearing this podcast after the fact, that we also have these recorded. And so you can certainly access um, that information. And Beth is particularly um, an expert in this area because she worked for the DOL previously in enforcement of retirement plans. And so she has a special knowledge.
1: Right, right. Great. So other than that, 2020 is setting up to be a big year in the employee benefits and compliance world. Uh, Not only the things that we've discussed today, but there's lots more out there. We're looking at the Texas v. U.S. case on the ACA. That will be working its way through the courts after the Fifth Circuit ruled in December. And uh, so we'll follow that. We're looking at whether the DOL might adopt more formal rules on electronic disclosure for the health and welfare side of things. They added some formality on the retirement side in 2019. We're hoping they'll do something for the uh, health and welfare side soon. Right. And of course, we have election year, we'll be tracking the election cycle and presidential and other elections that will be occurring later in 2020.
0: It's uh, healthcare is really the topic of of uh, de jure and it's, and it's of interest to most voters.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a big deal. So we'll continue to uh, track that. And of course, the discussion on single payer systems that we've been having over the past year, we'll continue on that. So lots to look forward to in 2020. Internally, um, for the NFP Benefits Compliance Team. We have a big agenda. We'll be doing all we can to educate and inform employers and keep them on track. And we'll continue with these podcasts, of course. And we're building out webinars, white papers, notifications, checklists, and other resources to help with that. So I'm really stoked about 2020. Some good news here from the spending bill I think everybody in the employer world is happy about. Um, So it's a new decade, maybe some new enthusiasm, and we'll get after it.
0: All right, sounds great, Chase. Thanks for going through all of that, and thank you all for joining.
1: Yeah, thank you. Like we say,
0: like to say. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you very much. Thank you.